Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Celebrity. I'm really grateful that you're tuning in. One thing I've learned over the first couple of podcasts is that I talk slow. I don't know if it's from years of preaching or making presentations, but um, after listening to them, I'm determined to talk in a normal human conversational voice in this episode. Also, I'm really grateful for some of the feedback that we've had from our first episode featuring Paul Robertson, if you've not listened to that. I want to encourage you to go back and give it a listen. Got a couple of feedbacks. One is from Ethan Smith, who is the creator of the Life Experience Podcast and the Terms and Condition Podcast. And Ethan said, Hi, Jeff. This is a concerned listener from Ordinary Celebrity. And I just want to say, wow, after listening to the episode, I realized I have an autographed copy of The Air by Paul Robertson on my bookshelf. And now I feel like I'm the one that's the celebrity. But really... Congrats on starting a podcast. It's so much fun. I appreciate the shout out for mine. Um, There's no way in the hour I sat down with Paul and Lisa that I could have ever gotten to half of what one person's story is. And so I think it's a great idea to sit down and listen to these little tidbits, not just to record them for for posterity's sake, but also to get to know people better. So I wish you the absolute best in your podcast. And I'm looking forward to hearing who else you find to interview because it was very fun for me to do the same thing. And uh, yeah, so good luck. And I'll be listening, really excited. And then I got a voice message from Nevada Kirshner, a student at Virginia Tech. I am so excited for this. Thanks, Nevada. And for those of you who listen, if you listen on Anchor, you can also leave voice messages or comments about the different episodes there. I'd love to feature more questions and comments in future podcasts. So today's podcast features Jonathan Cabongo. A friend, a college student at Virginia Tech, he is a senior, uh, played basketball for Virginia Tech, uh, but he is going to share with us a little bit today about some things that make uh, Jonathan special and worthy of celebrating. Jonathan, why don't we start today with examining how you got from Canada to Blacksburg, Virginia to play basketball for Virginia Tech? So um, in the ninth grade, I went to a prep school in Huntington, West Virginia, um, a long way from Toronto, Canada. And from there, I got my first offer from Virginia Tech. Um, And, you know, rarely does somebody go to the school that offered them first, you know, just because it's just a rarity, you know, and things just really did come full circle. They stayed persistent. Um, They never went away. And by the time my senior year came around, I felt like they had really just, you know, kept confidence in me throughout my ups and downs with injuries and stuff. So from there, I just trusted their loyalty to me and made my commitment. One of the things I have grown to love about Jonathan is just how um, a great thinker he is. Uh, He's not just an outstanding athlete, but he is a person of deep faith who processes life intensely. So Jonathan moved to Blacksburg, Virginia from Canada, and he started his freshman year and knew that he began playing on a full scholarship under Coach Buzz Williams at Virginia Tech, Uh, knew that something was up physically. He played hurt just about his entire uh, freshman campaign, and it was after that freshman year that he realized he needed to get some corrective surgery. And it was during the process of surgery and recovery that Jonathan learned some things about his future in basketball and how it would impact his dreams. And so we're going to visit again with Jonathan and just find out a little bit about how that hit him and how he processed that. When it comes to the injuries, that was something that 
started way before I got to Tech. Um, my sophomore year of high school, I was on fast break, went up for a dunk, guy throws me to the ground. Uh, I have a lot of back issues from there. Um, I sit out for 10 months in high school. I was on and off. Um, just kind of really affected my recruiting because I, I wasn't given the chance to play, you know, but I, I just couldn't. I, I was missing a lot of games, missing a lot of tournaments. Um, but thankfully, like I said before, Coach Buzz and um, the Virginia Tech staff kept their faith in me. And when I got here, you know, one of the goals was, okay, we're just going to work on the body. We're going to do everything right. You know, my first few weeks, my first summer session here, like I wasn't even allowed to touch a basketball or anything like that. It was just... That's something that Jonathan and I have in common is Virginia Tech hasn't let me touch a basketball either. <laughs> when the season rolled around, I still had some of those issues with my back. And then um, around February of my freshman season, uh, in one of the practices, I felt the pop in my hip. Um, that wasn't too settling. That wasn't too good for, I would say, I played through it, you know, without really knowing what's going on. But at the same time, like, something felt wrong. It didn't feel right. And I knew it. And I was waiting for the end of the season to really figure it out. So, um, around probably I would say June, around June, July, got more MRIs and, you know, figured out that I had to get a surgery and, um, did that for my hip in August. Then, you know, come to find out my back was still hurting me and still giving me issues while I wasn't playing. So I was like, okay, I have to figure that out. Cause this is my regular life. Like I'm not even playing basketball. And I found out that I had a degenerative disc. And from there, I just had to think about the years that I kind of just made my body suffer. And, um, you know, having the knowledge of what I'd probably continue to do if I kept playing basketball kind of slowed me down and made me, you know, think about the wisest decision to make. So from there, of course, like you know now, um, I just decided to not play anymore and to really just preserve preserve my health and um, do what was best for me long term because I just I, I didn't feel like basketball was the right career choice for me if my health was just deteriorating day after day. Jonathan tell us about how that impacted you emotionally mentally mm -hmm. to have shaped a large portion of your junior high high school life and then knowing that you were being recruited to play college basketball, to have that dream shift so dramatically? I feel like, I feel like when I first got hurt in high school, I was already preparing myself for a life outside of basketball just because of how serious everything was. I kind of had no choice but to think about, okay, what if I can't do this? So um, I feel like that decision wasn't made without any type of you know, preparation. I feel like I was emotionally prepared to a certain degree, of course, it was still hard. But, yeah, because of all the years I was playing through injury and all the time that I spent exploring myself outside of basketball, I felt like when it was time to move on, I was ready. So, um, just like anything else, when it's a part of you for a long time, it's difficult to move on, it's difficult to move forward just because you're so used to something. But because I had a lot of other things that I had thought about, that I had put my energy towards. It was a lot easier for me to 
continue my life with something else instead of just dwelling on what I had lost. So, One of the things that I know about Jonathan is that uh, faith plays such a significant role in who he is and his very identity. Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit about the role that faith has played over the past year of your life? How important it has been to you for sustaining purposes or for strength or encouragement? I personally think um, this was an opportunity to strengthen my faith because um, at the end of the day, you know, basketball is just basketball. And it would kind of be a lie for me to say that I didn't put a lot of my hope in it and a, a lot of my identity in it. But um, one thing that the injury and moving on from it really allowed me to do was truly root myself in Jesus and truly put my hope in Jesus because at the end of the day, um, it wasn't going to last forever. Um, nothing is going to last forever. And when it came to what I ran to for fulfillment, for gratification, um, having the injury really forced me to, you know, look towards God. And I think that's, that was a blessing in disguise because, um, as much as I lost, right, it's, it's nothing compared to what I gained. So what role do you feel like, um, Christian community has played in your life? over the past year or so since you've been in college? Um, we can't do it alone. And if I'm talking about rooting myself in Christ and, you know, um, just deepening my faith, I think it's impossible to um, live a life and have no encouragement and have no, just, just no understanding of what you're doing by the people that are walking alongside you. So um, community like FCA, community like the people at North Star, um, community like you, you know, and just, that was that was actually one of the first places I met you. Yes, yeah. we visited at church. Yep, and then I got to give you a ride to one of your surgeries. Exactly, and and I feel like even that in itself, you know, that that was, I don't think that was um, just coincidental. I definitely think that was um, very designed, you know, and I think. Yeah, I don't know. Like the fact that a year later, we're a lot closer than we probably could have imagined is just kind of proof that, you know, things were things were in plan without us even knowing. Being on basketball teams my whole life, I know the same rules apply to my faith. You know, you, you need the team. You need people to give you high fives. You need people to tell you, hey, don't do that. And um, ultimately, it, it feels better because nobody, you know, wants to be alone. God doesn't want us to be alone. One of the things that Jonathan and I both have in common is that we are musicians. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that's not true at all. He enjoys making music, creating music, writing. And so I want to give you a quick uh, preview of just a clip from one of his songs that he has written and performed. Uh, I know my actions speak louder than me. They gon' always try to hate on what you trying to be. Then when you make it, try to tell you that they always believed. All they do is deceive. Then when you fall, all of a sudden they leave. <laughs> it's really comical. I always been a stand up. Plans of making bread, I'm not a fan of. Waiting on someone to save me with my hand up. Ready since I was a baby in my pampers. Every day I give thanks to the most. When did you first start creating music? Yeah. The first song I ever made was in the second grade. Really? Yeah. 
like we had you did a um, randy travis cover right not, country music not a Randy Travis. <laughs> no sir but uh i don't even know who randy travis is but um yeah second grade had like a little uh mic on our computer or whatever and my brother would like mess around with it so he just wrote me a song and like i just i don't i don't know it's just a really random thing do you still have that i don't i wish i wish I wish I still had that, but unfortunately I don't. But um, I would say once I started to get into like late middle school, early high school, I actually just, you know, did it a lot more. It was very, it was a very therapeutic outlet for me just to um, process my thoughts, process my experiences and, you know, make sense out of them. So um, it's just something that I, you know, continue to do throughout high school, college, and hopefully just continue throughout my life. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it started and that's where it's at right now. How do you see your music having grown? Like, uh, I just feel like it's grown with, I think it's grown at the same pace as me. You know, I definitely look back at some old songs and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I talking? Like, where was my head? But, um, yeah, I think that's the, the good thing about it. Like, I really get to see how far I've come just within myself, you know, when I um, just listen back and, and listen to, you know, where I'm at now. And, um, yeah, I, I think I think that's just the biggest thing, you know, as, as artists, you really get to see um, where life's taking you. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. It's all about just showing the real you so what does your music um speak to what do you find your what themes do you find yourself returning to or what are you trying to communicate in your music and it may differ a lot from yeah. song to song no i just talk about my life like i just feel like there's nothing else to talk about um that truly matters if it's not honest hmm. so um I definitely try to convey very positive messages, but I talk about the good and the ugly. And um, if God is a big part of my life, how could I not talk about God? It just doesn't make any sense. So um, that's kind of what I try to do with my music. I, I honestly just try to focus on what I'm going through because like I said before, it really is a way for me to just continue and, mm -hmm. and get through life. So. Without it, um, I just feel like there would be a lot of lack of clarity. So, what musical influences have you had? Like, what artists do mm -hmm. you look up to, or do you emulate, yeah. or appreciate? Um, I, I listen to everything, but um, I feel like growing up, um, just a lot of the popular artists that I just saw really just inspired me, especially some artists like. Um, Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, and Drake, and I feel like the older I got and the more um, I, I became steeped into my faith, I feel like I started to discover more artists that think like me. So um, I would say as of right now, a lot of, of my big inspirations are artists like Eshawn Burgundy, Jared Sanders. Um, I really like Andy Mineo. I really like Lecrae. I really like a wide array of different artists, um, even artists that aren't rappers. I really like King's Kaleidoscope. I, you know, it, it goes 
there's a lot of different genres that I pull from, and um, it's just all about seeking music that I feel is very human, very relatable, and honest. Twenty twenty has been one heck of a year for all of us. Um, from everything from cultural tensions related to racism, um, a pandemic that struck the entire world and governmental response to it, um, to now we're in the middle of this election parenthesis. So Jonathan, how have you responded to this crazy year? What's burdened your heart? What's caught your attention? What stirs you? I think the biggest thing for me is division. Uh, that's just the hardest thing to see. I feel like people don't even want to be on the same page. People don't want to understand others. People don't want to compromise for others. And I think if that's the case, we'll just never go anywhere. And um, just aside from anything that I think, aside from anything that I think is right or wrong, I feel like the bottom line should just be us trying to come to, you know, a common ground and if that's if that's not what people want to do then i i just feel like you know we're, we're not looking at a promising future so um yeah i think that's what bothers me the most um you know definitely seeing injustices mm -hmm. that hurts you know and definitely seeing people being um just enraged or some people being apathetic or some people just being hopeless it's, you know, it, I obviously um, empathize with those people and, and, and feel their pain. And, you know, anybody that's just confused, you know, I, I, I empathize with them as well because it is a lot to just see. And it is a lot to process. But um, I think, like I said before, like, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, is, is just unity. You know, and, and what does that mean? And, and sometimes, you know, I feel like we look for unity in surface level ways, but um, we're arguing about what's right or wrong. And that's something we get from truth. So if we're not seeking truth, then, I mean, I think the result is division. So um, that's just how I feel about it. I feel like everybody, you know, wants what they think to be true. But if there's two sides to this, we know that somebody has to be wrong and, and there has to be a truth somewhere. And I think our goal should just be to um, run towards that instead of holding on to what we think and what we believe because we want to be right. I think one of the things I've really enjoyed about uh, getting to know you is I think about in the book of James where it says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. You really model that. Um, you're able to talk with people on a very deep level about things that most people get upset about, but you do so so calmly and not just from a dispassionate perspective. I mean, you're very passionate, but you're able to process and think and dialogue. And I feel like that's one of the things that's so that's deeply missing in our culture is the ability to sit down with someone that may think differently than you, listen to them respond, listen again, respond again. Right. Can you speak to the importance of dialogue and open discussion? I feel like 
man, like, if we just look at our culture, you know, what's really driving us to do that? We're in such an individualistic society where it's like other people's desires, other people's wants and needs don't matter to anybody else because we're so focused on us, us being happy. What do we want? And I think that's kind of the root of this issue. You know, it's if, if people aren't listening to each other, it's simply because they don't care. Right. And I think if we get back to caring about what other people want when it doesn't benefit us, I think it's easy for us to, you know, support something when it benefits us, when it aligns with what we want. But once we're challenged and once we're, we're forced to think like, OK, this this kind of makes me a bit more selfless than I want to be. I think, you know, a lot of that care kind of goes away and. I mean, it, it is it is very, you know, in our nature to do that. But I, I don't think because it's in our nature that it's right. And um, at the end of the day, if, if we don't hear each other, um, we're going to see the things that we don't want to see. And we don't have to wait till disaster strikes for us to say, well, there's a problem to solve. We just have to, I think, like I said before, we just have to seek like truth. You know, like I think truth is a is a huge uniter. It's really difficult, I think, for us to see the importance of love as the supreme foundation for relationships. We see that from God, obviously, but it's difficult for us to like love our neighbor as ourself. And when we sometimes say, let's change the narrative from either or to both and, I think what we're trying to say is let's change the narrative to love. But even with love from a Christian perspective, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. You know, love is not this right. mushy, foundationless, right. non-principled emotion where we all like, you know, are celebrating a big long party. Mm-hmm. But love really is dealing with truth and applying truth to real life. Right. But doing it in a very gracious, um, kind way to one another. Right. And I think... I think the definition of love has just been like skewed drastically. Like, and it's kind of sad because it's like, I feel like love has just become so like transactional nowadays. It's like, okay, you do something for me, I love you. And then I'll do something for you. And, you know, as Christians, we know that's not the case, especially with our relationship with God. Everything that we received is from nothing that we've done. And, that's the you know the primary example of what it's supposed to look like for us and others when we love our neighbors it shouldn't be because they held the door for us pay for our dinner or whatever it is it should just be because we love them i'm not the first person that has wanted to uh, get jonathan on audio or video he's been featured in a video series called the road back and he's also the co-host of a podcast with Ryan Metz called The Christian Athlete Paradox. Um, it's been a real joy to be able to talk with you today, Jonathan, and I'm um, excited about the massive audience that Ordinary Celebrity already has getting a chance to uh, hear today's podcast. Is there anything else you want to throw out to the audience of Ordinary Celebrity? Yeah, I just personally feel like 
we should just continue to see our ordinary people as celebrities and our celebrities as ordinary people because at the end of the day we are all the same we all go through the same things and um i think that's just point us to our one creator who's made us you know equally the same so um i just believe that this podcast and the people that come on this podcast could do a good job at you know just reminding people that listen um that we we all have something that could bring us together and we all have something special about us so i appreciate you bringing me on the show and i just wish you all the best and i wish all the um next ah. <laughs> yeah that's fine i appreciate you bringing me on the show and i just wish you all the best thanks jonathan Thanks so much for tuning in to another podcast of Ordinary Celebrity. I could not describe it any better than Jonathan just did. If you have ideas for Ordinary Celebrities, or if you have a way for me to get in touch with Tom Cruise for that cup of coffee, please let me know. Until next time, be looking for the ordinary to celebrate.